0: Entertainment is like
1: there's a lot. Like some of these guys, I'm just like, these every one of them is like so big, you know, like mm-hmm. there's so much there. Oh man.
0: You're gonna you're gonna be pleasantly surprised somebody have what I came up with. All right. I
1: hope you also get some some enjoyment. But all right, so with that, I'll say welcome. Welcome to know your roles. We're doing it, we're doing the damn thing. Oh yeah. Yeah, let's get it rolling. George, what's on your bar?
0: Uh, game three. I think this is uh, the short season. It's been kind of a sprint to the finish line, but two teams are, look like it's the best two teams, the Dodgers and the Rays. The Rays with all those arms that throw over 90, and the Dodgers with all those bats. The strength worth of strength. I'm expecting a pitcher's duel tonight, which I'm excited for. Walker Buehler's is 1-0. Charlie Morton is 3-0. They've got a lot of good stuff, and I think game three might be the best game in the series, considering what's what we've seen so far. So... What should tonight. be like 11 to
1: 10? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah, but that's still exciting. I mean, it's been exciting, the World Series of course, is what we're talking about. You know, it's 1-1 to right now. And by the time people are listening to this, game three will have been played. But uh, it's exciting. I like that it's kind of back and forth. I mean, we were talking or we joking a little bit before that, like, man, the Dodgers got to win, right? They have to win just, like, reputation's sake alone. You know, they're going to go down as one of these teams. I think this is the third time they've been in the World Series in the last four years. hmm and it's really hard to get there. It's really hard to get to the world series. It's really hard, especially their team. That's they've been good. Those, they haven't had any fluke seasons. They've been great. They've been the top team. Everybody's been gunning for them. And they've, you know, I know the Astros thing. There's, there's a case to be made that that was a a stolen title or, or whatever, but Three times in four years, you got to come away with one because you don't know. Like you could go through a twenty-year stretch where you don't ever get there. So, so yeah, they got to win. <laughs> I hope they win
0: for their sake. As far as the fan base goes, are they tortured? Uh, they haven't won since '88.
1: Uh, they're in LA, so I can't know. They're not
0: tortured. No, they're
1: <laughs> like they're chilling, they're smoking legal weed. They're drinking lattes and shit. <laughs> Sorry, thing. no offense to daughters babe. I love you all. The Lakers won a
0: bunch, the king's won twice. I think I think the king is won twice.
1: Also, they're not tortured because they have the highest payroll in the league. You know what I mean? So it's just it's like they've made all the they've done all the statistically moves that they should have done. And it just hasn't worked out for them. That's why we love sports. And that's why it's hard because <laughs> you, know I mean? you can't we assholes like us can sit here and make as many predictions and say as much shit as we want. But at the end of the day, it's really difficult <laughs> to be to even be in the league and then to be good and to be championship level. You know, I hope that they win just for their sake.
0: Yeah. When I think of like tortured fan bases, I don't think of them because of like they are in L.A. The ones who are probably the most tortured now are probably like Cleveland, Atlanta,
1: yeah, there's some other ones in there. I can't think off the top of my head, but definitely Cleveland is. LeBron, they want brought, LeBron. brought them a, a championship. But generally, their professional sports have been a barren wasteland as far as postseason accomplishments. That one would be to Atlanta. Yeah, well, and they'll never live down the Super Bowl.
0: 28-3. <laughs>
1: they became a bullet point in Tom Brady's legend.
0: Yeah, so 28-3. So yeah, I guess Atlanta would be like <laughs> the next one. So I guess I'm, you can make a case for the Mets, but it's still New York, so...
1: Yeah, well, there's a lot of titles here, but that that fan base is one that, and I I'm close to some of them. I I think Tortured is, they they probably would agree with that. <laughs>
0: they, got, they got 68, they got 85. It's it could be it could be way worse. That's definitely true. Could be way worse. Yeah. What's in your bar?
1: I'm gonna try something kind of fun. If you're game for it going to do some of that process stuff that I was talking about last time really quickly before that just quick addendum stuff. I just want to say I kind of butchered the title last week, but American Mythology is that series that the Intercept is doing, Jeremy Scales podcast for Intercept. It's really incredible the historical context. I mean, I'm on it's part like 7 right now and every time it it's Amazing. I just wanted to plug that again, because really. But also, George, a couple of weeks ago, you were talking about making sure everyone was registering to vote and and making sure everyone votes. And I just want to say, uh, you know, as a white person, I have a problem, first of all, with telling people to vote, because, you know, that's not all you do. Like, that's not activism for white people. Just so you know, like telling people to vote, that's not like doing your part. And we all should vote and we all need to be voting. And, you know, I just said that. But make a plan make a plan for voting. That's what we did. We made a plan for doing that this week. We're looking forward to that coming up. And uh, yeah, I think, you know, our listeners are pretty progressive with the people. So I think that a lot of them probably have already voted and awesome for you. Good. If you haven't do that and, you know, vote Joe Biden. And then after we vote him in, let's force him to do the things we need him to do. All right. So That's all out there. Let's get rid of that now. Let's do some process stuff. I want to talk about cold opens. We talked about them a couple weeks ago, how cool it is as like a setup device for a TV show. Traditionally, it's the first scene before the credits or the first commercial break, and you're setting up either the season or the episode, and it could be totally unrelated to the main plot of the, the show or new characters, or it could be something you've seen pieces of or whatever. George, what are some of the things you like about cold opens or shows that you think do
0: cold opens really well? I like the fact that you don't see it often. So when you do see one, you're like, oh, well, that's an interesting way to start something off. And it's something I always remember. So i trying to think of some of my favorite ones. I've, I've always, the Raising Arizona Open is one of my favorites.
1: Yeah. Yes. Amazing. And they don't they yeah, they don't, the credits don't come in until like 10 minutes in. and 10 minutes. or like 20. Is it 20 minutes? yeah. 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 And they've done so much work in that 20 minutes. It's like a whole movie worth of like setup and backstory. And, but it's not dry. It's like, oh man, yeah, it's, it's so good. Yeah, well, and at some TV shows, we talked about Fargo. Fargo does it so well. I mean, they set this tension and really a tone for the episode and, and especially the first one of the season because they're all separate stories. So they're super cool. Breaking Bad also, you know, this is kind of why I talk about it because I've been thinking about those the last couple of weeks. Breaking Bad also, they're amazing. They set up the whole season, essentially, in that first five minute cold open of every season. And they show you stuff that happens like 10 episodes later or whatever. So cool. So what I want to try to do as quickly as possible is to let's do a cold open. Like let's write a cold open for a show or talk out a cold open. For a show that doesn't exist and for a show that maybe will never exist. Uh, but I thought if you're into that, we could uh, do that. George and I, we write together. We like do this kind of thing. So, so, yeah, I thought it might be fun. Let's start off with a place, the where. Where is this cold open? Where is this scene happening?
0: Prospect Park. <laughs> all,
1: right. all right. We're in Prospect Park.
0: We're in Prospect Park.
1: Cool. That's like not at all what I was thinking. And so I, I, like, thinking? I like that. No, I like that. I was, you know, the ones on Fargo and Breaking Bad, in my mind, it always takes place in a diner. Like, you're always in a diner opposite one one side. But no, let's go with the Prospect Park. Okay, Prospect Park, what time of year is it? Fall. Okay, it's fall, so it's not warm, but it's not super cold. It's maybe a little bit chilly. You might have a light jacket on. Leaves are starting to fall, starting to change color. Night or day?
0: Probably day. Sort of like night into day, so maybe like at six o'clock in the morning. Six
1: o'clock in the morning. Yeah, like magic hour, Prospect Park. And now let's talk about the who. Who is there? Who are the characters that are there?
0: You're there with uh, Wallace, your dog, because it's off leash. Your dog out for a walk. All right. So we're getting somewhere. Prospect Park.
1: Fall, six in the morning, off leash hours. I've just come with Wallace, who is being an asshole because he's pulling me this way and that can't wait the five minutes to get into the main area to let it off leash. So he's dragging me and he's nipping at other dog going in. Who else is there? Who else is at the park?
0: We'll throw some hill nana on there. We'll put Hillary in there.
1: All right. Hillary, my fiance is there. We're there at the park in the morning with our dog. We're struggling with what is about to go shit when we let him go running and rabble rousing and sniffing butts and all that stuff. And we let him go and he runs. And then in the next two minutes of screen time, <laughs> what happens?
0: There's a dead body.
1: Okay, so I like that. And let's, so so let's, okay, so I'm going to even, this is perfect. All right, so we let Wallace go shit. He runs around, he, he runs to a dog. You know, you exchange the smiles that you exchange with people at the dog park. You might say hello, blah, blah, blah. And then we're playing catch with him, playing fetch. And he's getting the ball, he's bringing it back this is already suspension disbelief because my dog actually doesn't do that. He just like watches her throw the ball and is like, maybe I'll go get that. And if he goes goes to get it, he's like, well, I'm not going to bring it back. I'm just going to run around with it. (laughs) But anyway, for the sake of this, he's playing fetch and maybe we are having a conversation with somebody, something like dog park, you know, making small talk, which something you do. And we're, we're not paying attention and we throw the ball and It gets off in the weeds somewhere, way deep. And the dog comes to us and he's barking at us. He wants to ball. So we go and we walk and he runs ahead. And then we walk upon a dead body. Whose dead body is it? Do we know? Do we see that yet? Or do we just cut?
0: No, I think we just cut. Because like, we have to find out. Maybe the backstory is how that body got there. That's episode two. Awesome.
1: Cool i'm into that so we find a dead body in the park it's that easy people <laughs> yeah no i i thought that was fun i i like that and i would consider working on that more but although the only thing about that i, really I, that
0: for sure I wouldn't
1: I want to write that. i couldn't write anything with myself as a character <laughs> i can't that's just yeah i'm not doing that uh but that was fun cool maybe we'll do you know some more stuff like that in the future like i said i think hold on, like the way that fargo does it Man, it's so good. They're so good. Like they set up so much for this episode, and it's so engaging. I'm somebody I've talked about before. Like I like to. I, I need background stuff. I, I like to put stuff on, and I don't necessarily have to pay attention to everything that I have on. I, you know, we're in the media age where everything is at your fingertips, and I, I like one and one of those kind of people that needs the background background noise. But you know, something like Fargo, I'm gonna focus in on, and it's so good that there's no effort needed because they have me from. Hello. You know what I mean? They have me from the first opening frame normally of that cold open. And then you're like, what is going on? Who is here? Who is doing it? So, yeah, I just wanted to do that and have some fun with it. I think we did. We're going to get into our main segment now the who and the what and the what and the who. And we are talking a big, momentous thing in, I would say, probably both of our childhoods. And that's the dream team, the 1992 US Olympic basketball team, the famed dream team. If you're listening to this podcast and you don't know what the Dream Team is, I don't have an ant. That's not, in my brain, that's not possible. (laughs) So we're going to talk about the Dream Team and we're going to be comparing them to solo artists, musicians, and solo musical acts. I think it's going to be fun. And yeah, we're going to get to it. George, anything you want to say about the Dream Team before we do the comparisons?
0: You know, it's funny. So uh, 1982, I'm 14 years old. When I think about the dream team, there's a couple times that I was kind of rooting for the other teams only because they were just killing people. So much so that it took the fun out of watching some of those games. And there was that one game where Barkley elbows that player in the, in the chest. And I'm like, come on, that's so bully. Angola, the first game. There was a moment, as much as I enjoyed seeing like some of those players play on the same team with each other, there was a part of me that was like kind of rooting just for it just to be competitive in one of those games. I'm going to talk to the guys that I have. I, I kind of chose them. There's a reason why I chose him. But it was kind of neat to see like uh, this one player who was from my hometown. So that's on the Dream Team, which is exciting. Pride of Woodbridge, Virginia. Nice.
1: I was a little bit younger. I was like eight or nine. So I had no, I was all in. You know what I mean? To me, they were, it might as well have been Greek gods. And only later in life did I learn some about the individual people uh, about that team and uh, also like yeah, the competitive spirit. It's not that fun to watch when you're not eight years old or nine. <laughs> it's not that fun to watch a team get beat by 50. You know, they didn't Damn. have a chance. You know, now the international game is much. It's not that international game was bad. It's that the NBA players weren't competing. They were used to going up against college kids. And at that point, it was certainly wasn't as advanced as the NBA. And as soon as they allowed NBA players, which was a credit to David Stern. I mean credit, whatever you want to call it, but it's because of David Stern, how they grew the NBA internationally. And it's so why you see so many great intern, I mean, there's always been great international players, but they're a thing now. And that yeah. style of play has, you know, incorporated into the game. And you know, it's because David Stern is a businessman who was like, I can get a lot of money out of other countries. <laughs> but uh yeah, the dream team, you can't deny their power culturally or their even if the teams were matched, this team would have been killed. This is like every single person on the team except for one, which you're going to talk about, is a Hall of Famer. So it's like he's in the guys, Hall of Fame. He is in the Hall of Fame. All right, we're, we'll we'll save that. But that's insane. He
0: should not be in the fucking Hall of Fame. Well, he's uh, we'll get into that. But anyway, but but we're talking about I'm actually him first.
1: Eleven guys, twelve guys on the team, but eleven guys who were like some of the greatest players to ever play the game. You know, so they would have beaten anybody and it was exciting and awesome. But uh, why don't you start off? Segue,
0: we're talking about the aforementioned one player who was uh, oddly enough not in the NBA, but David Stern wanted to have at least one guy that was in college. And uh, that one guy in college is Christian Leitner, And he's the only player on the team to make it. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about Laettner's college career because everything leading up to 92, Laettner is the best. And then his NBA career is whatever. Before you started at Duke... Won two national championships, played in four Final Fours, which will never be broken because if you're that good in college, you probably are going to leave early. He's twenty-one and two in the NCAA tournament. So he won two national titles, and he only he lost in the, the semifinal and the final these years, the two years before. He has the most college points scored in the tournament, the most free throws taken, the most free throws made, the most games won. People always said is probably shouldn't have been him; should have been Shaq or Alonzo. Well, the case that you would make for those for him over them is that the times mm-hmm. that Duke played Georgetown, the times that Duke played LSU, Duke murdered them, and he was one of the reasons why they played so well. And like when the games against LSU, he was he outplayed Shack by like Shack I think scored like eight points, he scored like twenty eight. Shout out to the uh, I hate Christian Later thirty for thirty. That's which is one of my favorites. His NBA career is not complete crap. He did play for 13 years, which people don't know. He also averaged almost 13 points a game, including uh, his rookie year in which he averaged 18 and his lone all-star appearance in Atlanta. We also averaged 18 and 11. So it was not like a complete mess of an NBA career. He just happened to be that dude that just always got traded, always a part of the player to be named later or like a part of the trade group. So he played for 13 years, but he played for six teams, none of them longer than four years. Yeah, so like after watching a 30-for-30, now I have a newfound respect for him because he, even though he went to Duke and Duke has got that whole... Pretty Boy thing, which they definitely deserve. He was from uh, Blue Collar Buffalo. He went to a private school and because and he worked at the private school. So it's not as if he was just like a rich kid. He was from a poor family in Buffalo. We ended up going to that, that school of Nichols in, uh, in Buffalo. So because of all that, my comp for him, and this is actually not a disrespectful comp, just more of an entertaining one, because this artist that I'm going to say, who Chris Leitner is, sold 40 million records, nothing to sneeze at. But he is definitely a, a one-hit wonder from the '80s, and that is Rick Astley. <laughs> <laughs> Rick Astley is the Christian Leitner of the dream. had a had a got a, got like a newfound like look on life in 2007 when Rick Roll became like a meme and uh, never gonna give you up. People will always remember that song, and even even he's got a sense of humor about himself. And I bet you Christian Leitner, once they hear this podcast, is like, you know what, the Rick Astley of the Dream Team. I'll take it. So. Shout out to the record whenever you need somebody, 1988. That record went number one. So <laughs> Rick Astley. Christian um, Leitner.
1: That's awesome. Uh yeah, and well, and they're both part of the cultural zeitgeist. Like they're they're both they're both people that you would be like, yeah, you know, dismiss because you know, the thing about Christian, first of all, it's insane that Christian Leitner is in the Hall of Fame. What you said about him is very interesting in that he is better than we, you know, he's looked at because. Like I said, the rest of that team is the best players ever, and he's not in that category, although he maybe is one of the best college players ever.
0: That's um, a small thing.
1: Yeah, okay. I'll buy that. But also, it's worth noting that the assistant coach of the Dream Team was Mike shashevsky You know what I mean? So, a Duke guy, they were almost guaranteed to be on. And it's not that other college player. Like, where is Isaiah Thomas should be on the team? You know what I mean? <laughs> Over Christian. But we might touch on that. If
0: they were going to take a college player and they were going to sub out an NBA player, there's an NBA player I thought they could have easily subbed out.
1: Not I, not named Isaiah Thomas?
0: I mean, if they're going to sub out an NBA player for Isaiah, it's like, you know, I mean, I like Larry Legend, but 1982's Larry Legend was on the other end of it.
1: Oh, fair enough. I if see I, what if you're if saying. If I was going to
0: take one guy out, it would be Larry. But, not because, like, I love Larry Bird. I think Larry Bird's...
1: But I think that a hobbled... I think that a hobbled Larry Bird for 10 minutes at the end of his career with Isaiah Thomas is better than that same Larry Bird with Christian Later. You know what I mean? But it's like, but it's, but it's whatever. But that's a good segue because I'll, I'll do my next one because I'm going to take off. We're going to go from the 12th guy to the first guy. I've talked about him before when we did our first episode of The Wire, but I'm going to talk about him again. That's Michael Jordan. It's a segue from Isaiah Thomas because it was covered on The Last Dance. And I'm going to talk about The Last Dance a little bit. I'm not going to, I'm going to try not to spend too much time on Jordan because I could talk about him for however much time anyone would listen to me talk about him (laughs) hours and hours on end. But part of it is because he's this mythic figure, but The Last Dance also showed us that he's human. And this is something that Chicago, people in Chicago have known you know, and not because of any like crazy insider information, but just because you saw in the doc, you saw people like Sam Smith and Michael Wilbon and other people who were Chicago writers. And Wilbon was in DC, but writing about Chicago stuff. And we were like all reading that stuff. You know what I mean, and talking about it. So it's like we knew who Michael was, and he was also an asshole. You know, somebody who motivated by yelling, and that doesn't work with everyone. <laughs> I am someone who generally learns by being yelled at, so I I understand it. But, you know, he's one of those kind of guys. He had such a high standard for himself that you had to meet that as well. And we saw in The Last Dance, if you watched, you know, it didn't work with everyone. It, it worked with a guy like Scottie Pippen, who kind of needed, who was kind of a quiet guy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about him a little bit later. But it didn't quite work with, you know, the guys later, like Michael Ruffin and like or Dave. Yeah.
0: David Ruff. Not, Dave, not
1: David Ruffin. So I believe in if you're going to laud what these people did on the court, we have to also talk about what they did off the court, just very briefly. Michael Jordan is somebody that he had control of the last dance footage. And he said that, you know, it's going to make me look like an asshole or whatever. And we saw that he's a hard nose and he's that. But what they didn't talk about in the last dance that, you know, people in Chicago talked about and writers wrote about is there's a reason why there's hardly any women. They don't talk to any of the women in his life. And it's because they would probably have different things to say about him. That was something they didn't talk about, his womanizing. And he built this image of himself over the first six or seven years of this million dollar smile and the the face for all these companies and products. And it's because he was magnetic on the court and he was un- unbelievable. But There are multiple sides to everything, but he certainly changed the way basketball was viewed and the way basketball was played. A whole generation of people went after him. And that dream team was also him, as you saw, you know, not to bring it back to the last answer. It's very comprehensive. That was his moment where he showed all the rest of those guys who were on that team, who were the best players in the world your Magics, your Birds, your Charles Barkley's, that he was better than all. And he was. Like he was it, they were back and he was the guy and he showed them that. And, but also they played really well as a team, but anyway, that is, that is a long walk, but thank you for staying with me. That is why as a comparison, somebody who was also immensely talented and unbelievable, but also hurt some people along the way. And that's Miles Davis. MJ is Miles Davis. Everything that happened in jazz, you know, for 20 years after Miles Davis, can be linked back to Miles, right? And like that's the same thing in basketball with Jordan. I mean, guys like Kobe and even we're seeing LeBron. They modeled their games after him. You see it in the mannerism, and Michael did it too with the with the guys before him. They all do that. But Miles, Jazz is definitely something that takes from everything and kind of builds anew. And and Miles is great at that. And yeah, again, someone who uh, the women in his life would say uh, some things about him. A mythical figure that built a legend around them, and then you know, for the past 20 to 30 years, we all get bits and pieces of what they were really like as human beings, and you know, that's just something we all we need to know. So yeah, Michael Jordan is the Miles Davis.
0: We're gonna have, we're gonna have like a, a good little group at the end of this. My next one is we already talked about him just briefly. I was like I'm gonna talk about him a little bit more than that. It's uh, I'm gonna talk about Larry Legend, the Hick from Fish played 13 seasons for the Celtics. This is stuff that's all leading up to 1992 because he retires in 92 uh, because of the bad back that he had and been playing with for the past three years from paving his own driveway. It shows you how blue-collar he is. He's like, I'm going to pave my own driveway, which is insane. Larry Legend won the MVP in 84, 85, and 86. He's a three-time NBA champion, two-time finals MVP. He averaged 30 points in college, which is which is insane, played against Magic in that national championship game. He didn't even stay in 1979. It's still the highest rated college basketball game of all time. One of the days player of the year and described as one of the greatest shooters of all time, if, if he isn't the greatest. It's like, well, I'm sure that there's going to be some people next year years going to have some, maybe a claim to that when their career is all said and done, but we're not going to get to them yet. For me, Larry Legend, because I'm only talking about his stuff from the 80s, Then the artist I'm going to talk about is also from the 80s. And this artist in the 80s had more U.S. top 40 singles than any other artist of all time. He has sold an estimated 150 million records worldwide. Hollywood Walk of Fame, Songwriter Hall of Fame, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a member of Genesis. And I'm talking about Phil Collins. Larry Legend, Larry Bird is the Phil Collins. Also an artist I love. Love Phil Collins. But I'm talking about like Phil Collins' run in the 80s. And Larry Bird's run in the 80s. and I think they're very similar. They're the best to ever do it. And Phil Collins, one of the biggest song artists of all time. So Phil Collins, Larry Bird.
1: I like that. I might have made up the Peter Gabriel personally, just because I'm more of a Peter Gabriel guy. But... <laughs> Peter Gabriel had a run. Yeah, that Last Genesis record with Peter Gabriel is incredible. The one that's like the it's like a
0: concept album. Yeah, or... I think it's Abcab. Abacab.
1: I don't fucking know what it's called, but it's incredible.
0: But um Peter records, when he was lead singer, I'm telling you, Phil Collins is. I mean his 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 Wikipedia entry is like nuts.
1: Well, moving right along. So, the next guy I'm going to talk about is Carl Malone. Carl Malone was another one of those guys who we can certainly laud him for his on the court actions. He was incredible. And he's one of the best power forwards of all time off the court. Not so great kind of from rural Louisiana. He grew up in a barn he had some hardship in his life. He lost father at a young age when he was 20, he impregnated a 13 year old, which is not okay. I just feel like I have to mention this stuff, too, because I like don't feel good about, you know, like Carl Malone was incredible and then like not. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. All right. OK, so I don't even really want to talk about the people, to be honest with you. I don't want to, like, bring up that for people. But he's done things that we're not OK with. I don't want to make a joke about that. It's a serious matter. And I think it should be brought up when talking about it. But I encourage everybody if they question about it to look up Carl Malone. But as a kid, I didn't really like him. He was on the enemy team. He was the person that for a few years, people were like, this guy's actually the best player in the NBA. Nobody was saying it. And it's like, he's incredible. He's unbelievable. But his game wasn't that, it wasn't even that exciting. It was very smooth and very polished, but it wasn't even that exciting. And also like on the court. I'm going to talk about this later when we talk about his partner who was on his team and also on the Dream Team. But Carl Moon was a dirty fucking basketball player. They use a different word when they talk about his partner. Mm -hmm. Something we have talked about before. Carl Moon was dirty. He would always take cheap shots. He would elbow people. You know, when the refs weren't looking, this is back in when the game was much more physical. You could get away with much more stuff. And yeah, so the cop is somebody that I don't particularly like. I don't think for the record, I don't think this person is like a terrible person. I don't know, they might be. And so I'm I apologize I, eh, I'm not gonna apologize to this person because they're a rich white guy. Anyway, Carl Malone is Garth Brooks, because in addition to being uh, you know a, a bit country. He uh, is super corny, (laughs) super fucking corny. Carl Malone, I don't know if you remember, but he used to wear like cowboy boots and like Western wear shirts and shit. Tucked it like, you're corny, dude. You're fucking corny. So that's why he's Garth Brooks. And then later when he tried to win a championship with the Lakers and got egg on his face by that Pistons team that we talked about last week, that's like the Chris Gaines. That's like him be, being Chris Gaines, you know, let's try this fucking That's stick funny. on the wall. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, that shit sold a ton of records. Later on, everybody knows that it's like fucking garbage. The only person that defends it is Garth Brooks's now wife, Trisha Yearwood. <laughs> uh, yeah, Chris Gaines and Carl alone, they can go away. Fuck them. Yeah, okay, so uh, thank you for bearing with, with me on that.
0: No mention of Friends in Low Places or Baton Rouge. I'm sorry.
1: Oh Well, you know what's funny though I did write down because The note on him is that he's corny Some of the names of his albums His albums are called Scarecrow, Ropen With no G, uh, apostrophe Ropen the wind Fresh horses (laughs) He's got an album called Fresh Horses Like, get the fuck out of here And then that whole Chris Gaines fucking debacle Um (laughs) All right
0: convention to like one Garth Brooks. Song. I'm just kidding.
1: <laughs> I mean at the if you put a yeah at the end of the day like song, if you man. made me
0: that's listen to say it's like if the Louisiana me, Baton Rouge collection. Oh. If
1: you made me listen to some of them I'm sure there'd be one or two songs where I'd be like yeah that's that's I'm sure it's good. I mean you don't sell like he's got talent he sold fucking even Chris Gaines that shit went double platinum. It's
0: yeah it's also I had like the H1 behind the music he was it's
1: weird. also like yo middle america what are you spending your money on guys <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's back when the when CDs were like 18 bucks it's I know I, I mean ever- I was
1: you know I mean it's but you know whatever just don't spend it on games. all right anyway moving right along George
0: I'm going to talk about um one of my favorite players of all time and uh shout out to my buddy Brian Dean my best friend from high school this is actually his favorite player and his favorite basketball team and I'm gonna talk about the Admiral David Robinson 10-time all-star 95 NBA MVP two-time champion Two-time gold medal winner because he won it again. And he won it either in 88 or 96. So there was there's a case to be made that he could have been taken off because Isaiah, who unfortunately, because uh, the U.S. boycotted the 80 Olympics, that would have been the team that Isaiah would have been on coming out of Indiana. Because that was back when they were so It was just still nothing but college players. We're not talking about Isaiah. We're talking about Dave Robson. Consistent All-American at Navy. NBA Rookie of the Year. Career average, 21 points and 10 rebounds. Played 13 seasons. All for San Antonio. This is my favorite thing about David Robinson. Aside from being from my hometown, shout out to Woodbridge, Virginia. He uh, went to Osmond Park, which is a neighboring high school, which would have been the high school I would have gone to had my high school had not have been built in 1994. Shout out to Woodbridge, Virginia, and Prince William County. But it's my favorite thing about him is that he went to the Naval Academy because he always wanted to go there. His dad was a Navy guy. He just happened to retire in North Virginia. In high school, he didn't play until like his junior year. Because he was growing in height. So by the time he got to his senior, he was 6'6". So not thinking that he was going to get any bigger, he went to the Naval Academy. Then he went 6'7". Then he went 6'9". And then he went 7 feet in the years that he was there. Unfortunately, because there's a height restriction in the Navy, 6'7 is the, the height. He only served maybe like a, a year of not active duty, but like an active duty. Because he was 7 feet tall, he was wasn't going to make it on the boat. So he never made the rank of admiral, which is always kind of fun. He was a lieutenant just from being in college, but the stats are always there. And he's like one of the nicest guys in the NBA. Like everybody has always liked the Admiral. And for that, my comp is for another Virginian. And that is for Pharrell. 13 Grammys, record of the year, two-time Academy Award nominee, two solo records, five collaborations with Nerd, one with the Neptunes, also a Virginian from, shout out to Virginia Beach, for uh, Pharrell Williams and uh, shout out to playing in the band and making being in the band kind of cool. Him and Chad Hugo met in seventh grade while they're both in the marching band, which is kind of rad. So David Robinson is Pharrell Williams.
1: That is rad that they met in the marching band. That's cool. Yeah, the only thing I don't like about David Robinson <laughs> is uh, uh, he owns his own private equity firm, and like, there's some you know you could look into that but there's some there's some not great stuff not not to be uh captain buzzkill which which i am but uh, but i loved him on the court and uh yeah pharrell man those guys like yo they're i mean they made certain beats that i wasn't like always you know they made like cat really catchy stuff that i wasn't always like that's the best shit ever but over the court i mean they those guys are incredible
0: musicians how's it yeah incredible i mean um, Rex and effect in the, in high school
1: Yo, Rex and Effect oh, my shit. Rumpshake.
0: That I mean I mean rumpshaker like that. That sounds still kind of bangs. Like
1: no, the beat, the Rump Jay-Z Shaker. used it 20 years later and uh-huh. made it a hit again. Because that beat, that, that horn sample. Mm-hmm. That shit is fire. That shit is incredible. Um all right, moving right along. I'm next up. Um I'm gonna talk about that Carl Malone guy's partner and that's John Stockton and John Stockton is another guy who's incredible on the court. I mean, he was an unbelievable player. This one's not going to be, uh, this one is mostly like, but John Stockton is one of those guys. Like I said, Carl Malone was a dirty player and he got called the dirty player. John Stockton was a dirty fucking player, but he got called gritty or, or scrappy or whatever, like the white media, wants to call white guys and then call you know the black athletes dirty like it's like you know either you pick what you know what i'm saying like we've talked you and i have talked about this before but those those words like scrappy and gritty are like they're code they're code words mm-hmm. um but that being said john stockton he seemed like an okay guy honestly there was a there's an incredible scene in the there's a this nba tv documentary from that i sent to you that's on youtube it's called like you know, dream team, a documentary or whatever, something basic like that. And uh, there's footage that John Stockton shot in Barcelona when they were there. And he's with his family on Las Ramblas, the big thoroughfare and they're doing tourist stuff. And he's shooting home video. And we talked about it a little bit, but this dream team, they were like, larger than life and everywhere they went was like an event and even as a chicagoan those bulls teams were like that i mean it was like when you were down like especially in the summer after they had won a championship if you were downtown doing any kind of like shopping on michigan avenue or anything like that or if you were old enough to be going out to bars and clubs down there or bottle service places or whatever like it was like who's gonna show up you know what i mean because chicago is a smaller city there's yeah they were like Things would stop, everything would stop around. Him. That being said, John Stockton, he kind of blends into the crowd. He's six one, he's much shorter, he's very kind of unassuming. He looks like a fucking gym teacher or something. And there's a scene where he's walking around and he's talking to fans and who did you meet? Who have you met? And this older white lady is like, Oh, I, I met uh Charles Barkley the other day and he was a pleasure and blah blah. And meanwhile, she's got a t-shirt on that has caricatures of all the faces. Mm -hmm. and he's have you met anyone else and she's like no and he's literally a face on her shirt john stockton his little kid is like that's my dad (laughs) so that's a very funny endearing moment but again john stockton was one of the best facilitators ever maybe the best but he could do a little bit of everything he he set up but he also he hit game-winning shots he shot pretty good from the three he shot incredible from the free throw line very smart player again, he was dirty, but he was, when we say dirty, they all kind of do, you know, the bull, I'm, I'm not going to lie and tell you that those bull scenes weren't doing stuff like that, pushing the envelope as far as what they could get away with. That's part of the game. But as a kid, certainly like you're seeing it. And if I was a player playing against it, you know, this little guy who's using his elbows and getting in, it would piss me off too, <laughs> but he was a great, great player. And Like I said, I want to focus on how he was a facilitator and he set up and especially on that dream team. I mean, he wasn't doing a ton of shooting. He was moving the ball a lot. They all kind of were. But that's why as a solo artist, John Stockton is Brian Eno, the great producer, musician, Brian Eno. Now, he's a guy who's he produced some of the best records ever. I mean, David Bowie, Talking Heads. All sorts of stuff. In addition, he's also created his own music. I mean, he did stuff with Roxy music. His album, Here Come the Worm Jets, is like, it is incredible. And and also, he's another one of those guys that even me, who, like, I, I love Brian Eno, I don't think I would recognize him, <laughs> you know what I mean, in the crowd. Like, I don't, I don't think I'd be like, oh, my God, it's Brian Eno. You know, and John Stockton I probably would recognize. But just in that in that dream team scenario, he was like the least recognizable one. So, yeah, John Stockton is producer extraordinaire. Brian Eno also did some stuff with U2 that I don't particularly care for. So if that's like John Stockton playing on the jazz that I didn't particularly care for or didn't care for watching him take cheap shots and elbows against players I liked.
0: so. <laughs> So my next one is, this is going to be a weird comparison but, I, but I'm hoping you guys can follow up with through. Granted, I've always liked this basketball player, but for some reason, I always seem to forget that his career was uh, was a producing career. I'm talking about Clyde DeGlide, Clyde Drexler, 10-time NBA All-Star, uh, won a title in Houston, but he's known for his years playing in Portland, his jersey retired in both places. I was looking up at some of his high school stats. In high school, he once scored 34 points and 27 rebounds, which is crazy. All-NBA first team, two-time All-NBA second team, two-time All-NBA third team. Career averaged 20 points. Now, when you hear all those things, you're just like, oh, right. I always forget to mention him. And I always forget that, yeah, he was on that NBA Dream team. He was pretty solid. He did have some great seasons in Portland and in Houston, but... He's always forgotten when you think about some of the best players of that era. So my comp for him, has nothing to do with him or how I feel about this person's music. When I think of pop stars, I think of stars, I always forget that he's also a thing, too. And that's Robin Thicke. (laughs) And I don't hate Robin Thicke. I think Robin Thicke has got... Songs, but when you think of the whole history of pop music in the past like 25 years, he's right there. But was he as big as Justin Timberlake? Probably not. Is he as big as Christina Aguilera? Probably not. Was he as big as Brittany Spears? Probably not. So, but he's right there. Think about all the tracks that he gets on from the Carter Three to uh, that Jay Z song. He's right there, but you always forget that he was right there. So, yeah. <laughs> that's the reason why I have Robin Thicke as my comfort for Clyde director. No knock on Clyde because I love Clyde. No knock on Robin Thicke. But when I think about players from that era, and I'm going to mention that the next two players on my list, assume my favorites of all time. I always forget that Clyde was a thing and he had a run. So Clyde Drexler, shout out to Clyde Drexler, great career. I just always forget about you. Sandy <laughs>
1: <Robert>. <laughs> yeah. I like Clyde Drexler a lot more than I like Robin Dick, but that totally fits because both of those guys, there was, you know, a period of time where they were going to be the guy, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So they were being billed by all the fucking people with money behind them. They tell the story in the last dance, but, Drexler was supposed to be the next guy because Jordan, as I talked about him changing the game, people didn't think you could be the best player from a two guard position and be a championship team. You're looking at point guards or centers really to lead your team. Traditionally, before that, that's a generalization, but that's kind of the way that it went your Magic and your Kareem and guys like that. But Clyde came in and they were like, he's going to be the guy. And then and it was like, he can do, he can match up with Jordan. And in that championship, right before the dream team happened, you know, in the first few games, like I said, they talked about the last dance. Michael Jordan just absolutely embarrassed Clyde Drexler. I mean, he hit, that's the you know he hit six threes in the half, and then gave the shrug because he's like, "Can't you got It's ridiculous how much better I am than this guy." <laughs> he was like, "This is the guy. This is the guy that you think, uh, you know." And Robin Thicke also like was gonna be the guy, and then you know disappeared. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm down with that. All right, moving right along here. My next one, I'm going to talk about two people I very much enjoy. And the first one's going to be Chris Mullen. Chris Mullen, Hall of Famer, Golden State Warrior, shooting guard, small forward, and he's smooth as fuck with it. I love Chris Mullen. Very versatile. He could shoot. He shot great. He could also he's a great passer. He wasn't the best individual defender, but a very good team defender. And, you know, he's one of those guys who usually Mm -hmm. made the right play very exciting. And those years, you know, Chris Mullin's a Hall of Fame. Chris Mullen's career is awesome. But again, on that team, he's going to be down. You might forget about him. And he's awesome. Those TMC years, I even forgot. There were years where Chris Mullen was averaging 25 points a game.
0: Yeah, I think he got up to 28, the, and- the peak of it. Oh, well, there's some nasty Chris Mullen numbers.
1: He had some years, man. He was good. And even though there was a point in his career where he had the type of haircut that we talk about, where it's like, I Chris Mullen, maybe the best white guy, like, flat top, maybe. <laughs> it, like, kind of works.
0: <laughs> either either him and Howie Long are competing on, like,
1: yeah. flat top. <laughs> yeah. Um, less. But uh, he, I, I really, yeah, Chris Mullen, he's one of those guys. He's super smooth. He drained threes. He's not who you would mention first, but I love that those scrimmages that are famous from the, the dream team, the competition scrimmages, Chris Mullen was on the team with Jordan and Pippen. And thinking about that, first of all, that wasn't really done playing like three wing players, you know, in one lineup like that, That like it is now. But imagine that fucking lineup of Jordan, Chris Mullen, and Pippen. I mean, him and Pippen together, they played so, it was so cool to watch them play together. But anyway, that is why Chris Mullen as a solo artist is someone also maybe singer songwriter who maybe isn't the first person you think of when you're like best singer songwriter of all time, but I think incredible. And that is Tracy Chapman. Chris Mullen is Tracy Chapman. She had a run. She had like three or four albums and she's still making music. And also, like Chris Mullen, very unassuming. I mean, Chris Mullen is, like, dressing in T-shirts and shit, and, like, Tracy Chapman has a cutoff, and, like, she, you know, she's about it. She lives that life. Those songs, like, fucking Fast Car, yo, that still holds up. That shit's
0: incredible.
1: Oh, <laughs> that. I'll put that on and cry. Like, <laughs> shit is amazing. <laughs> as far as like writing goes. And I just, yeah, I love Tracy Chapman. I think she's incredible. Again, not the first person that you'd be like, the best singer songwriter. But when you think about her, she was awesome. You know, her music still to this day holds up. And Chris Mullins game holds up. He would still be good in today's NBA,
0: for sure. If he was in today's NBA, we'd be we'd be looking at him in a different way. Tracy Chapman, man. So, we're going to round, round out of my top two, and I'm getting super excited to talk about these last two players because they're probably two of my favorite players in NBA and NBA history. So we're going to start with the number one, well, number two, and the number one. So, number two is Magic Johnson, Urban Magic Johnson. He won a national title in Michigan State in 1979, beating that Indiana State team that had Larry Bird. Held Larry Bird at 21 points, by the way. 13 seasons in NBA, first pick in 1979 draft, five time NBA champion, three time finals MVP. Twelve-time NBA All Star, two-time NBA All Star Game MVP. There's so much you can say about Magic, and it's like he's probably the one of the best players in the NBA. He's probably, I think he's probably like behind number three. I think LeBron may be like may have passed him this past year, and then Jordan. So I guess to go Jordan, LeBron, and then Magic as far as I'm concerned, of players that I remember seeing growing up. So, so Magic is in there. So for me, thinking about like his as as a businessman, I'm thinking about what artist is like a big selling artist and also a businessman. And my comp for Magic Johnson is Jay-Z, 125 million records sold. He is a billionaire. Magic, who was the part owner of uh, the Dodgers, granted, he owns 1% more than we do. He still owns parts of the Dodgers. <laughs> <laughs> and it was yeah. Jay-Z who owned like 1% of more than the Nets and we did when he did own it. But when he sold it, he still made money off of it. When so, you're talking
1: about like millions, 1% is a lot yeah. <laughs> for, for us.
0: But I, I just like saying it. He's like, he, he owned 1% more than I did. So <laughs> so yeah, my, my comp for him is Jay-Z. Again, 125 million records sold as a rapper. That's, that's pretty crazy. Million Dollar Man.
1: As soon as you said businessman, I was like, oh, I know where George is going with this one. All right, Jay-Z. I'm excited for your last one. because But uh, I'm going to continue and I'm going to talk about Patrick Ewing. Patrick, this is something I just learned is that his full name, I don't know if you know the short, but his full name is Patrick Aloysius Ewing. His yeah, think- middle name is Aloysius. Yeah. That's awesome. But anyway, he's a legend in New York City and New Yorkers and New York Knicks fans love him and they'll always love him. He's a legend at Georgetown as well. And now he's coaching at Georgetown. But he wasn't as appreciated. You know, he wasn't quite as appreciated. I mean, he never got a championship because they had to come up against Michael Jordan and the Bulls. And I would also say that something that I wasn't quite aware I hated him as a kid, you know, because the Knicks were like our big rivals. And they, you know, to me, they were a lesser talented team that needed to even the playing field by being physical. And I just, which again, like I said, the Bulls did that too you know, when you're 10 years old, it's harder to see that. But Patrick Ewing, like the rest of those players on that team, if you looked at them and compare them to NBA greats, they don't really measure up. I mean, I know New York Knicks fans think John Starks is one of the best players ever, but I have news for you. He, John Starks is not a very good player. He had some moments and a season or two, but they were, they,
0: How much hate?
1: there were a philosophy. I mean, yeah, John Starks, it's like the Knicks, like we, we beat them like 80 times to like five and all the Knicks fans always want to bring up that John Starks dunk. Like it's a thing like what that John Stark dunk. It's like, yeah, the one dunk, but, <laughs> um, but, uh, but Ewing is somebody who you can't deny him. He's unbelievable. I mean, his career numbers are unreal. He averaged 21 and 10 in a 15 season career and he averaged 2.4 blocks a game. That is astronomical. That's unbelievable. He's one of the best, maybe not the best big men of all time. He was dominant. It wasn't like those Bulls matchups were great. But again, as my biased Bulls fan, so I would say that the talent wasn't that close overall. But Ewing was so good that he kept them in all those series. I mean, he was dominating. I mean, it's like, you know, Bill Cartwright and Horace Grant. Couldn't really slow him down that much. I mean, later on when they got Rodman, he fared better against him. But but anyway, so I personally didn't appreciate him until later on in life. And he is a king in New York City. I mean, people are like, you know, he is their guy. And that is why he is, as a comp, as a solo artist, Billy Joel, also a king in New York City. I was like talking about this with Bill hillary my fiance a few hours ago when i was prepping and and she i was like yeah well i'm just explaining how patrick ewing is billy joel and she was like oh you mean because like a lot of mediocre white guys in new york city love him (laughs) and yeah that's uh true and again i did not have time for billy joel as a kid i did not like billy joel i thought he was corny and blah 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 and i still think he's corny but some of those records are good. I mean, he's so also another guy that like he sold mil- he's one of the highest grossing artists in history. And he still is selling out Madison Square Garden. He's like 70, and like 65 year old ladies in Long Island are like still throwing their panties on the stage for him. It's insane. Um, but you know, 42nd Street, that album, like, you know, that album that's slap. 52nd. 52nd Street. Is it 42nd? (laughs) i thought it was it's 42nd street 42nd street what if he has a 42nd
0: and a 52nd street
1: (laughs) i believe it i believe that he did but yeah billy joel is patrick ewing very beloved
0: just 52nd
1: 52nd street okay so thanks for clarifying that shows you how big of a billy joel fan i am
0: Big shot on it. Come on.
1: Big shot is that yo, that's my that's a, <laughs> that's, a that's a fucking jam. That's a jam. That whole record is good. <laughs> but uh yeah, no, no, that's no. that's why he's Patrick Ewing.
0: That was good. All right. So we're gonna round out my number one is probably my favorite basketball player of all time because I guess given his height and the size and the fact that he was able to do so much, don't get it twisted. I think Barkley is probably at best six five. Programs he's got listed at like six eight, six nine. I was like, no, that dude's short.
1: That's like a Jordan thing, too. It's like Jordan was listed at 6'6, but everybody in Chicago is like, yo, no, he's
0: 6'4. <laughs> Barkley was like 6'5. Barkley, he's a round man of rebound, 93 MVP, 11 time All Star, five time NBA first team, five time NBA All Second team, pure average of 22 points, 11 rebounds. Again, this is a guy under 6'6. I found it about it, but I thoroughly enjoyed that. He's got the most uh, rebounds in a half, which is 13 the most rebounds in a quarter, which is eleven, which is crazy. But unfortunately, because he didn't win any rings, he's not. I guess thought of as because I guess we use it, that metric to measure like uh, how great you are. What was how many rings you've won. Unfortunately, he didn't win any rings, and for that, he is. If Magic is my Jay Z, then Charles Barkley is my Nas, because uh, although although I think Nas is the best. Is he better than Jay Z? To some people, probably not. But that's the metric that I'm going to use. Which one do I rather listen to? I rather listen to Nas. Mm-hmm. As much as I love Jay Z, I rather listen to Nas. There's a poster room in my house, so. So Charles Barkley is the Nas of the dream team. I think my dream team, my band is, solid. I got Jay Z and Nas, and I got I got Phil Collins playing drums. I got my guy Pharrell doing the beats, and then maybe I'll have like Rick Astley and Robin Robin Thicke sing backup.
1: Yeah, that's band. yeah. I like I'm not no no bullshit. Like that's. That's next summer's yep. hit. Banger.
0: That's a super group right there. Yeah.
1: I was like recoiling a little bit when you, I agree that I think that some people would say that about Jay Z versus Nas, but I'm just going to go ahead and say that Nas is way ahead of Jay Z, in my opinion, like way, way ahead. So when you were like, he didn't win any chips, I'm like, he definitely won chips, but I'm okay with it being Barkley because Barkley, it, first of all, the fact that he's six five. I thought, I know that he's small and undersized, but I thought he was like at least six seven, six eight. 6'8".
0: No, no, no. I think it's listed like there's a whole there's a whole metric in which they're saying it was like how tall he was in shoes, how tall he was not out of shoes. So in yes. shoes he probably was he probably was like six seven, especially back then.
1: Yeah, that's what they I say about. I
0: don't think he, don't think he was reached. I don't think he reached higher than six five.
1: That's what they say about Jordan's with shoes six six, but the the word around town was that he's actually you know six four if you measured him. But uh, but obviously it didn't matter. It makes it even more incredible. I mean Barkley, that's incredible that he yeah he's. He's one of the best rebounders of all time.
0: In 86, he averaged almost 15 rebounds a game.
1: That's insane. That's great. That's a small forward, essentially.
0: That don't make any sense.
1: That's great. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and round us out. Give the last guy, who's another guy that I love. He's part of my childhood, and that is Scottie Pippen. Bulls, great Scottie Pippen. And 92, Dream Team. This is when Scottie was... Becoming his own thing, essentially. He was becoming the man. I mean, he always had talent, but he kind of came out of nowhere. He was drafted from central Arkansas, which is not a powerhouse school. You heard a lot about the Bulls general manager at that time, Jerry Krauss, and you know, his big deal was Pippen. They traded olden Polynes for the draft rights to Pippin, and that was like his best deal. But it took a few years. But Pippin was one of the first guys who One of his, the things, and this is, you know, a credit to Krause, even though he was a piece of shit, (laughs) we could talk about that at some other time, but Last Dance kind of showed some of that. But uh, he was one of those first guys that even the term wingspan became a thing. That wasn't a thing really before him, guys with like huge, long, length arms. Some of those guys were lankier and that wasn't the type of body that scouts and stuff were necessarily looking for. And Scotty was one of those first guys because his wingspan is incredible. I mean, Scotty Pippen listed at six seven, his wingspan is seven three, seven feet three inches. Which, for reference, LeBron James, who's like six, eight, 250, his wingspan is seven feet. And Shaq, who's a seven footer, like almost a whole foot taller than Scotty Pippen, his wingspan is seven seven. So only three inches than Pippen. And it part of the reason why he was such a great player. He was like one of these first Swiss army knife type players. He could do everything. Similar story to Anthony Davis, as far as he came up as a point guard and was a passer and a facilitator and then hit a big growth spurt at the end of high school. And then Davis shot up all the way to seven feet, basically became a power forward center. And Scotty shot up to six, seven and became, you know, from like six, one or something and became basically like what we look at now, like the prototype for that, for wing players. I mean, you know, your your Jason Tatums and your Paul Georges and your two-way offensive and defensive players. I think you have to kind of look at Scottie Pippen as one of those guys who even somebody like a Giannis, you know, who really influenced the game. He's also like somebody who he came, he was kind of country. He came from, from a rural area. He had... Again, the last dance goes into it. He had a lot of tragedies coming up with his family, but they were able to persevere. And he was one of these quiet guys who, like I said, the first few years in the league, you could see that he was kind of like a sensitive guy. I mean, and I don't, that's not a diss at all. You could see it in, especially play out in those Detroit series. And and they talk about it a lot in the, in the last dance, but it, it was the narrative. And I was a, a, a very, You know, young kids. So some of this stuff I learned after, but a lot of it, it was there. You know, because you'd be reading the papers and and seeing it, even if you weren't quite understanding it. He came into his own. He became. You know, I was talking about Ewing and that moment in the playoffs where Scottie Pippen dunked over Ewing. I mean, first it was the the Pistons series. I mean, you see, because he was one of those guys that. Jordan was a guy who, again, he was a guy who yelled at people to motivate them. And like, he could take harsh, he could take the punishment. You know, he would get beat up by these guys in the Pistons and be like, I'm coming back and I'm going to get them. You know, I mean, there's that whole thing about how he started lifting weights and like, you know, know, and, and he got that, he instilled that in Scotty, but those, I mean, you see the, the migraine game, everybody is famous is like. Did he have a migraine? Who knows? So I, I don't fucking know. But he did not play well. And he couldn't... A lot of it was it was because how they were playing him and how they were defending him. But he took that and he turned it and he used it and became that much better. Talking about one of the greatest players to ever live. And, you know, he's got the championships to prove it. He is very beloved in Chicago, you know, because Michael Jordan was a guy. He got all the accolades and Pippin certainly got a lot of accolades, but he was, you know, he was the sidekick, but we love to watch him play because he did everything. I mean, at least in my family, we absolutely love to watch him play. He was so graceful on the court. He was so smooth. He could lock down anybody defensively, He could score off the dribble. He could catch and shoot. I mean, that is why a very versatile player could do a lot of everything, but also like extremely talented at everything he did. Not one of those guys that was just like kind of good at everything. He was really good at everything or became really good at everything. And that's why as a comp, he is Prince, the Minnesota Funkmeister. Also from a place, no disrespect to Minnesota, Minneapolis, very cool city and great place, but not like, not like the burgeoning, not like the, the musical history and tradition of the time of a New York or Chicago or an LA or a Memphis or Nashville. Or these places not somewhere you would be like the, who is one of the best funk musicians of all time to come out of minnesota you know but he did as well as bob dylan not fun but um why i almost used for jordan and then for similar reasons why i use miles davis but i decided uh i decided to go with miles but uh yeah he's prince man he Prince with that versatility i don't know if you know this you i think you probably do but one of my favorite things about Prince is that for Prince's albums, when he recorded an album, he played every single instrument himself, Prince. And that's even from his first album, which he recorded when he was 19 years old, which is fucking insane. He recorded everything, piano, guitar, drums. I mean, he played everything. The guy only used a band for concerts, you know, um, which, which is incredible. And, and, and yeah, uh, yeah, so Scottie Pippen, the Minnesota Frontmeister, Prince. Nice. That'll round it out the dream team with solo artists. You feel uh, you feel good about that, George?
0: It's good. I mean, anytime I could talk about Rick Astley. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, man, It's that's. We're gonna. That's gonna be. He's gonna be a part of our life as long as we watch basketball.
1: Like I said, it's, it's in like the zeitgeist. Yeah. Like Leitner. Dude, it's in the zeitgeist. Like those got Those two guys. Like forever.
0: Forever. Forever.
1: forever. Yeah. All right. What uh, what are you looking forward to this weekend and into the next week? here? Well, Where's I'm you?
0: excited by the fact that the Giants played last night, which means I don't have to watch the Giants on TV on Sunday. So <laughs> okay. I'm hoping that they play the local network plays the Steelers versus the Titans because it's 5-0 and versus 5-0. and And it's interesting in the history of the NFL. I saw this the other day. There's that this has only happened six times in the history of the NFL that two undefeated teams have played the late. And the winner of those games has gone on and played in the Super Bowl. So, if you are interested in seeing who's going to play in the Super Bowl, the winner of the, the Pittsburgh Tennessee game should wind up in the Super Bowl, according to like all the other things that have happened. The other six times this has happened.
1: That's very interesting. And personally, I don't think either one of those things will be in the Super Bowl. <laughs> so I, uh, I could you
0: could you could Pittsburgh maybe. I, I could probably you could probably give me a reason for one, for both of them. I mean, uh, so in the past 16 games, Ryan Tannehill has, has thrown 35 touchdown passes and seven interceptions. Wow. That's insane. Uh, the, is it uh,
1: crazy of me to still think that that is a little bit smoke and mirrors?
0: I don't know, man. Yeah. They beat Baltimore. I had Baltimore last year. They beat them senseless yeah, they in the did. playoffs. So, yeah. I mean, like, uh, and then you got on the other side, you've got the Steelers who uh, Ben Rodgersberger's is playing three Super Bowls. So, I mean. Yeah. You can't count him out. Yeah, there's 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 enough there that I can consider. You can somebody can make a case for it, but we'll see what happens after this after this weekend. I'm looking forward to that because it is five and zero versus five and zero, and that never happens.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. That's really interesting that that stat holds up. That those, and you know, it's only six times, so small sample size. Because I would say, you know, my point would be that it's just so who knows? Like the best teams, to me, like you know, they go on a run at the end of the. You could win ten out of the first eleven games, and then you could still your season could go on a downward spiral, and you could be out the first round of the playoffs. You know, what I mean, we've seen that happen more than we see the opposite. Right. Uh, so it's interesting that the six times that that has happened, the winner has gone to the Super Bowl.
0: Yeah. Because this, this is like this is late in the season for two undefeated teams to be playing against each other, yeah, in the same conference too.
1: i mean for that. Yeah, hey, tenable
0: well. numbers. It makes you think that, like for Adam Gage, you're like that guy sticks.
1: Oh, Gase, yeah, that yeah, he got one productive season out of Jay Cutler, and
0: he got a job in, with Peyton.
1: He was our offensive coordinator, and he he got pretty much Jay Cutler's best bear season, and everybody's like, this guy is a quarterback genius. And he's not. <laughs> he's not. Apparently, they also, like, have you, I don't know if you've heard any of, like, the weird rumors and shit coming out of the Jets. Like, t- like they hate him. They hate him.
0: He's the, He's a, He's 11 games under five hundred as a head coach, which isn't good. But my favorite part is the margin of points and losses are staggering. Not only does he lose, they get smoked. Miami did not play well last week, and they beat them 24 to nothing.
1: Trevor Lawrence, good luck. Yeah, well... They'll do it with the new coach, probably.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's stuff's going to happen. I actually made a post the other day that there's a – he's like, I can't, I have nothing to support this, so don't come after me, Twitter nerds. Don't be surprised. if They do wind up getting the number one pick, and Clemson wins the national championship, and maybe Trevor Lawrence wins the Heisman Trophy or whatever. They make a run at Dabo Sweeney. I don't know if Dabo Sweeney is going to jump from the, uh, the college to the uh, NFL. He would jump if he knew the quarterback was somebody he knew.
1: The coach so, you're talking about, of course, which
0: yeah, or like if Trevor Lawrence is like has it been a normal pick is like I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, like uh Sweeney's a uh, an Alabama grad. And that Alabama job ain't gonna come anytime soon. And if it didn't work out, he'd always go back to college. He's still he's only 50. So. No, I mean
1: if I were a Jets fan, I'd definitely I'd be in for that,
0: obviously. Yeah, I mean like, yeah, like you give that dude total autonomy, which I don't think they're gonna be willing to do because
1: No, they won't, but but you know, if if they have the number one pick and and it's Lawrence, which it's
0: it's which like, everybody says it's going to be definitely
1: going to be right i mean it, not you never know think something could happen but like if it were today he would be the number one pick for certain
0: yeah, there's i mean it's that, that's that's something that could be in play it's like uh yeah because is he gonna leave for uh like a job with the, the quarterback is like somebody doesn't know
1: we talked about this before
0: he be for the, he, i could see him leaving for, for college for the for the nfl if the quarterback is somebody he knew and they start off together
1: we talked about this before, but like, man, the end of the season, like the Jets and Giants are going to be competing, competing to lose the games to get, to get Trevor Lawrence. You know what I mean? It's like, and they both have drafted in the last and your team maybe as well. But they are making decisions that make you think that they want to win games, which is cool, but maybe not the best strategy.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, like the leader of the East only has his only has two wins. <laughs> That's awful.
1: yeah okay so I guess yeah you take your shot when you get it because you you might as well get in the playoffs rather than not
0: mm-hmm. Yes
1: back. I don't know. I'm looking forward to the like you said the end of the World Series you were talking about it's I definitely was someone who thought that like this these seasons wouldn't wouldn't go off and and you know they forced them through and they got them and you got to give credit to the NBA that it's awesome that they were able to give us that you know what I mean and they they and they seemed like they did it well. They certainly did it well. I mean, there's still something, you know, about watching, especially some of these baseball games where there's like fans in the stands. And I'm just like, this I, I'm not enjoying, I don't I don't want to watch these people like be drunk and fight for the ball. <laughs> um, but anyway, but the series I think has been good. I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward to watching some like scary movies, some some Halloween movies, horror movies, a genre that both George and I love
0: yeah, i guess halloween is next saturday it's is so weird
1: yeah i mean i don't really care about the holiday um <laughs> to be honest with you and now we're living in a weird but i love uh i love horror films i love horror movies so i'm looking forward to watching a few of those and i'm not going to say which ones because we'll probably talk about them tease for next week we'll probably do a halloween horror based episode we're not 100 sure how that's going to work out we'll do something like that so yeah, uh, look for that again. Follow us on Instagram, Know Your Roles Pod. Subscribe to us, rate, and review if you haven't. Tell your friends. Um,
0: yeah, we might, we might. I think I, I've got some ideas for next week. We might do a, we might do another draft.
1: Cool, I'm into it. Yeah, we're gonna be doing some fun stuff. We're gonna be making some plans, doing some cool shows, some more fun for y'all coming up. Everybody, uh, stay safe and healthy, and stay sane.
0: Absolutely, wear your mask over your nose.
1: Alright, we're out You know the on a on You not a road the rough